Welcome back to the Poster Spy Podcast. I'm Jack Woodhams, founder of PosterSpy.com and your host. In today's episode, I'll be chatting with Pete Allenson, who has won over 40 design awards. He's a designer, art director, and multidisciplinary creative. Currently, he's the head of design at UKTV, owned by BBC Studios, where he leads a team of creatives to execute exciting campaigns, both online and offline. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can visit posterspy.com pro. Pro members get extended editions of all of our podcast episodes, and season two will also feature a number of video episodes to watch online. Hi, Pete. Thanks for joining me on the Poster Spy podcast. Can you just talk me through a little bit about your sort of day-to-day, your responsibilities and things like that? Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you, Jack. Um, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me on the podcast. Uh, I've listened to some of the episodes in the first series and they're great. So hopefully this one will be equally as good. Um, but yes, in terms of my day-to-day job, um, I am head of design at UK TV, um, which is part of BBC Studios. So we're almost the commercial um, arm uh, of the BBC. Um, and we have uh, seven channels um, in our TV network and they sort of range from Gold um, to Dave to W, uh, Drama, Alibi, Eden, and Yesterday. Um, so we've got a lot of channels within our kind of network or our portfolio of brands. Um, and as head of design, um, I have a team of designers. Um, we have graphic designers and we have motion designers. Um, and we work with the wider creative team. Uh, who pull together all of the uh, TV promos and TV commercials uh, for our new shows. So we basically work across all of the creative campaigns. Um, thankfully, because we are a design team that kind of works across various different areas, uh, we have the ability to kind of work across the print side of things um, and the image generation. We also work across the motion graphics side of things for TV promos and commercials, um, as well as things like out of, out of uh, home advertising. So things like digital screens um, or billboards. Uh, we basically touch most parts or all parts of the, the creative campaigns. Um, and like I said before, we've got you know all of these uh, channel brands. We also have UK TV Play, which is our on-demand service. Um, and we work across all of those brands. So our team pretty much serves, it serves everything in marketing and creative, um, you know, working across all of the different areas to promote our shows, as well as working across all of our channel brands um, and our on-demand service, um, UK TV Play. Uh, so yeah, the kind of in the day of a life of myself, um, we usually start the day with, uh, a team meeting. Uh, that's something that, you know, most people do. And actually that's, uh, something that we started to do religiously every single day since the pandemic. Uh, we used to have team meetings, but actually since we went in lockdown, we did team meetings every single day, just because we wanted that kind of time to, to talk to each other. Obviously, when we were all kind of locked down in a bubble, it was a good opportunity for us to um, talk to other people and kind of engage and, you know, just talk about everything day to day and then go into the work and what's that, what we do that day. So every day we start with a, a team meeting and that's something that we have continued doing, you know, coming out of lockdown and going into hybrid working, which might be um, something we touch on a, a bit more later. Um, but then, you know, during the day, it's very much 
staying on top of the campaigns, working with the designers, working with external agencies, working with external um, illustrators, if we are uh, working with them on a certain campaign. Um, you know, I obviously have a lot of meetings, so I'm on Zoom a lot, kind of talking about progress and what's coming up and problems and things like that. So, you know, hopefully this discussion is going to be a bit of a glimpse behind the curtain um, at somewhere like UK TV um, or BBC Studios. Uh, so I think from from my side of things, it's very much, you know, staying on top of uh, the creative campaigns, helping to feed in ideas. Um, I'm very much a hands-on leader. So I like to jump into the tools, you know, jump into After Effects, jump into Photoshop um, and, you know, either help out or lead projects from a designer point of view. Um, so although I'm kind of leading a design department, I like to very much jump in and do things myself. Um, we also have much larger projects that happen in the background. So things like big rebrands or big brand campaigns or big events um, that I tend to to lead um, in the background. So, you know, it's kind of like a balancing act of working on the larger projects that have a bit of a, a bit more of a lead time, um, but it has more stakeholders and, you know, it's, it's probably a bit more of a kind of business priority as well as staying across uh, the business as usual day-to-day -day projects with the rest of my team, um, making sure that everything gets done, whether that's, you know, an animation or a piece of key art or an illustration um, or, you know, outdoor advertising. Um, yeah, so I have my fingers in a lot of pies. Well, it sounds like you have a ton of responsibilities, you know. It, to, me, to me, it sounds like it's quite bewildering knowing that, you know, you have to deal with this stuff every day, day to day. But how do you actually sort of divide up your time between particular projects because if you're working sort of back to back in your say like nine to five i'm sure it's I'm sure it's often more than that but say you know you're working that time how do you sit down and say okay i'm gonna spend a bit of time on this project a bit of time in this project and do you get sort of upfront knowledge about what's coming up or is it very much like a it's straight on the desk in the morning and we're doing this today how is that for you yeah i mean i think in terms of kind of my time management um i'm starting to get better at that i think what i what tends to happen is um, during the kind of working day or the working hours, there's a lot of meetings and discussions. Um, and, you know, that could either be with my team with a kind of one-on-one -on -one conversation, just kind of checking in, or whether that's having, you know, a meeting with marketing in terms of an update or whether it's a creative response. Um, so, you know, the days are fairly busy in terms of, of meetings and, you know, when it comes to actually the hands-on work, um, I've been quite—I uh, haven't been the best in the past at kind of managing that time. So what I tend to do is work a lot of evenings, or I tend to work a lot of weekends, which obviously is not expected um, or you know asked for. Um, it's you know I, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so I want to make sure that things are good and things are right. Um, so I tend to put in that extra time. However, what I have started to do to make sure that I kind of have that time and that headspace for particular projects is actually to block time out in my calendar um, around meetings so that when I finish a meeting, I've got a bit of time blocked out to focus on a certain project or finish up, um, you know, any sort of work that I was, I was doing on that project uh, before I jump into the next meeting. So, you know, that kind of just gives me a bit more of a structure during my day. Um, 
So I think time management is a really important thing, you know, in this kind of role, particularly, you know, when you're in-house at, an, at, um, at a brand uh, or at a kind of network, you you need to have your time, you know, plotted out essentially, because I think every hour is quite important during the day. And before you know it, it's the end of the day. Um, and you know, I've, I've got a wife and kids and I don't really want to be working every night, um, you know, or kind of working at weekends when I should be taking them to the park or stuff like that. Um, so I think in terms of time management, it's very much kind of looking at how we can fit in the important stuff, but also the creative work, um, that needs to be done also. Uh, so yeah, that's a kind of ongoing, um, process, but you know, I'm sure that a lot of the listeners to this podcast are very um, familiar with kind of working long hours and working weekends and late nights. And, you know, I think sometimes it's it's kind of what suits you. Um, you know, we work with a few freelancers and illustrators and, you know, I find it quite funny that some of them kind of start late and then finish late. So they're almost, you know, they're up at lunchtime do the day's work, work into the night and then sleep in the next day, which is absolutely cool with me. Like I'm, I don't care how they, how they work or the, you know, when they work, um, you know, at the end of the day, I just want the work to be good and, and kind of what, what we need for that particular project. Um, so it's a strange one when it comes to time management It's kind of, you know, whatever works for you really. Um, I guess the difference with, with my sort of nine to five day job is that, you know, we're working those core hours, and then it's just kind of managing what what I do around those hours. Um, there was a second part to the question. I've totally forgotten what it was. I think you pretty much summed up the the question anyway. And and one thing I did want to ask is, you know, how how is the scale of your team? Is it big? Is it a big team? Is it a small team? How many people are you sort of dealing with day to day? So in our creative team, um, it's, there's there's a lot of kind of different departments, if you like, um, at UK TV. So the creative team is about 35 people. Um, so the creative team uh, includes the production team that kind of set up all the shoots and help to run all the projects. Um, there's the creative creative team, which is basically the creatives and the editors um, who usually take the brief and kind of come up with the ideas um, and sort of brainstorm ideas and then start to cut trailers or promos. Um, and then work with us, the design team, um, in terms of, you know, bringing that to life and actually doing the work. So creating the imagery, imagery and then, you know, working on the motion graphics or the animation and pulling together the artwork for the out of home. Um, and my team is a team of seven, I think it is. I no, six, I think actually now. Um, so there's obviously myself. We have um, a design producer. So she's great. She's like my my right hand, my right arms, kind of really helping in terms of managing projects and you know keeping an eye on deadlines and making sure that people are doing the right uh, thing. Obviously, liaising with the production team and the creatives to make sure that um, you know they're updated with work and kind of uh, we have the meetings in to discuss those. Uh, we also have three motion designers. Um, so we have uh a lead designer within that in that setup as well but that's essentially kind of more motion graphics um and animation uh where 
you know, it was traditionally just on promos, whereas now obviously out of home, there's digital screens, um, there's uh, social media. So we we also work with the social media team um, to kind of pull together social assets. And nowadays it's gone from kind of one asset to about eight or nine or 10 assets for a campaign. Um, and I think, you know, that just shows the importance and the, you know, social media has such a key role in our lives these days. We're on social media all the time. So actually these days there's probably more visibility and more eyeballs on the social media assets than there are actually the TV promos these days. So, you know, we started to feed a lot more into that team. Um, we also have uh, two, two graphic designers. Uh, one's really good at uh, artworking. Uh, the other one's really, really good at retouching. Um, he used to do a lot of work for the BBC and Doctor Who and things like that. Um, but, you know, they kind of join forces all the time to to kind of work on pieces of key art and kind of pull artwork together for campaigns. Um, so they're a really good kind of uh, a team, you know, working together to create uh, the more kind of graphic design, print-based, um, out-of-home uh, assets. Uh, and then, like I said, you know, there's the paid pay for social media team that used to be in my team and they've kind of they've they've moved out to, to form a, a separate team which is just growing and growing um so I'm quite proud of that that team because I kind of had them in my team for a bit and I sort of um you know nurtured them as much as I could uh, and we worked together as a, uh, really closely as a team and now you know because they just need more support on the paid social side of things uh, they've kind of broken away and they're creating their own own little team and growing separately. Uh, but like I said, you know, we we work really closely with them uh, to generate work um, that, you know, goes across all of the social media platforms. I mean, there's, there's new platforms um, coming along every month at the moment. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's good to have a team that's kind of dedicated to that area and really focused on... Um, you know, the different platforms and how we can utilize those. Uh, and we've, like I said, we've had so much more involvement with that team recently um, because the media plans have been so much um, more focused on social media. Uh, but, you know, having said that, I don't want to lose, you know, the traditional marketing um, sort of marketing areas like billboards and, you know, printed ads in magazines and newspapers um and you know innovative out of home so i'm you know keeping an eye on the media plans because i don't want it to go completely digital um digital first you know we want to keep those kind of traditional marketing um spaces and you know just do do the best work we can in in all of those areas really and then i guess the you know to an extension to our team is um so there's the it's called Marcoms is the kind of the the big department that we're part of and that 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 is basically marketing comms team um, and creative and social so you know in terms of who we report into if you like or who we kind of present work to for sign off um, that is the marketing team um, so you know they obviously have a really deep understanding of the projects and the campaigns and you know they're the guys that formulate the briefs. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they're, they're looking at, um, the work that we're producing and the campaigns that we put out in the world and making sure that it, it kind of hits the business objective, um, and kind of hits the brief. So, um, 
you know, we have a really good relationship with marketing. We collaborate nicely. We keep them up to date. So it's not like we do the work and then just send it and go, hope you like it. Um, you know, we we kind of keep them in the loop and we update them um, so that it feels like an organic um, approach to the project. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of quite an overblown um, example of my team and then everything that comes with it, I guess. Well, it sounds like you have, you know, a ton of collaborative opportunities as well, which is really nice. And I was just thinking as you were talking through all of this, do you find that as you're, you know, you're part of this team, but then it's also part of another team and another team and it has to go between so many different hands. Because of that, do you feel like there's a, a level of compromise you have to sort of adhere to day to day throughout your, you know, your work? And how do you sort of balance that because if you're working with someone who has a very different idea to you and you're you know head of design and you've got your own ideas and your own sort of uh things that inspire you and make you want to do particular projects how do you how do you balance that and make sure that you know you're doing something you want to do but also good enough for the company and your team and and, and sort of i don't know appease to everybody yeah you're right there is um you know there's always going to be compromise um you know that's just part of the job and i think that's something that you know, I tell my team, I'm very open about that. I tell my team all the time, like expect feedback. You know, sometimes we need to compromise. Obviously, it's not ideal and we want the best for the for the creative. We want the best for the for the project. Um, but, you know, as you say, there, there are a lot of people that are involved in the process. So that's always going to, you know, people are going to have differing opinions. And, you know, I think if you really nail a project and you do something outstanding, then there's not going to be a lot of feedback. You know, I think sometimes if there is a lot of feedback, there's obviously something wrong. Um, and I think that's then an opportunity to kind of dig a little bit deeper into, you know, why why is this wrong? Um, you know, I always think the most helpful feedback is when they say something's not quite right and kind of give you a little bit of, you know, bit more detail and a bit of reasoning around why it's not quite right. Um, I think if you just get feedback going, it's wrong. Um, you know, try, try something else like that. That's not very helpful. So I think, you know, the quality of feedback is also quite important, but I think in terms of, you know, compromise, um, working as a really large team, I think, you know, you need to, I've found that with with all the projects that happen at once, you kind of need to pick your battles. You know, you need to see what um, what really has a big impact. You know, if there's if there's a project which I am really excited about, and you know, I think is is brilliant, and you know, I don't agree with the feedback, or I don't agree with some parts of the feedback. I think a lot of the time, you know. I agree with I agree with some of the feedback. You know, there are parts where I'm like, okay, that's just nitpicking and I don't really agree with that. Um, I would, you know, I'll go back and I would say, you know, we'll do this and we'll do that, but I really believe in this and I want to fight for that. Um, and, you know, I suppose that's where the compromise comes in, where, yes, you do need to please a lot of people, but I think you need to, I suppose in my role, we need to not compromise the creative or compromise the idea. I think, you know, if there are some sort of branding issues in terms of, you know, the prominence of, um, you know, the logo, you know, there's that, there's that classic joke, make the logo bigger, make the logo bigger, you know, that we hear that a lot. And, you know, 
that's that's coming from a kind of more of a business objective you know we need people to know that it's on this channel um or you know if we have a an ATV line like an a, you know like a tonight at 10 line you know the prominence of that um or the hierarchy of that communication you know that I'm I'm fine to discuss that and we can discuss what's right for that piece of work or for that brief but I think when it comes to the core creative I'm kind of responsible to work with my team and sort of fight for the creative. Um, so, so yes, there is a bit of compromise, but also I respect a lot of the feedback that we do get. Um, but if there's things that I fundamentally disagree with, I will obviously have my say. You know, I I don't always get involved in the feedback. And I think when somebody sees me pushing back, there's a reason why I'm doing that because I... You know, I I believe in the work and, you know, I'm I want to fight for the work because I think that's for you know the best for the project um and for the work that's being done around it. I think even with you know working with people externally and working with illustrators, um, you know, I'm really conscious when I feed back to those guys that I'm as clear as possible. Um, with my feedback. I don't want to sound like I'm micromanaging in any way. And sometimes it's good to kind of jump in a, on a call and kind of talk it through rather than just kind of write it down in an email. Um, but, you know, I'm very conscious that, uh, you know, everybody's different in the creative world. I think that's one of the things, you know, I've been a, I've been a creative leader for, for quite a while now. It's been probably most of my um, career I've actually been leading teams. Um, and, you know, I find that, 50% of it is kind of project management and hands-on stuff. And 50% of it is sort of man is people managing um, and sort of understanding what that person is and kind of, you know, working with them to make sure that we get the best outcome. So, you know, like I said, creatives are very different. Some of them like to have really explicit feedback so they know exactly what they're doing and they could just get their head down and get it done. Um, some people like it a little bit more open, but I think most creatives just want, some direction right they like you can't you can't just say like i said before you can't just say it's not right can you try something else because they'll, they'll end up just sitting there like I, where do i start i don't know like give i think you know the the clear direction is so necessary particularly in our world where you know we're working against deadlines and you know we have to turn some sometimes we need to turn things around really quickly um you know there isn't time for that uh, you know, unknown, um, or even, you know, some, I would love to have more time to kind of do more style frames and kind of experiment with stuff. Um, you know, if I'm working with an illustrator, I would love to have time to experiment with, you know, different executions and different styles and different compositions. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's quite hard to do that because, you know, there's not enough time baked into the process to allow for that. Um, I think, uh, you know, recently we did uh, a couple of rebrands and actually we did have a bit of time baked in to just do some animation experiments and style frames and, and you know, just experiment a bit with how we want to move the brand forward. Um, and, you know, I, I would love to have more of that time baked into um, the creative campaigns. But, you know, oftentimes that's not the case. Um, and I suppose... I think this was part to the part, partly down to the question you said before, um, in that you know where we are quite, 
you know, we're quite, I guess we're at the end of the funnel, right? <laughs> because there's, you know, the marketing team that kind of set the objective, set the brief. It then lands with the creative team that start to think of ideas and kind of brainstorm ideas, you know, with us and the wider team. Um, and, you know, maybe pull together a, a, a creative presentation, which then goes back to marketing and there's a route that's decided. And then and then eventually it will come to us to go, right, we've got this route decided. Um, you know, we need to create some images or we need to create some animations around this idea. Um, so, you know, we're very much at the end of the funnel. We are involved in the process, but, you know, our, our work is the final piece, right, for delivery. Um, so we are very much at the end of the uh, end of the process. I like to say sometimes we're with a shitty end of the stick, um, but you know I, I, that sounds negative and it's not at all. I, I love I love what we do, but it's um, you know it's funny that I almost feel like my team is like my own sort of design studio, if you like. Um, so. A little bit like any other design studio, you know, there's a kind of creative team or a marketing team that kind of get in touch with, um, you know, a design team or a studio and say, you know, we need this thing made. Can you come up with some ideas? And, you know, the good thing is, is we're in, we're in house. So we have those conversations. We have that di open dialogue um, and that, that opportunity to collaborate, which makes things so much easier. And also, you know, we know our brands inside out. We work with them every day. Um, so, you know, we're the best people to be working on those projects. Um, so, yeah, it kind of sometimes feels like we're a bit of a, a kind of design studio that just happens to work in the building, which is, you know, really nice. Um, and we also work with some other design studios just to kind of um, help support us. If there's a lot of work, we kind of, you know, we outsource it to um, certain studios uh that we we've worked with many times so they also know our brands quite well um so yeah i suppose in terms of in terms of the kind of quality of work and and the process and the uh, coming back to the conversation of compromise you know we just want to do the best work we possibly can um you know my being head of design you know I don't want any work going out in the world that I don't like um, or I kind of disagree with. And, you know, it might, there might be parts of it that are a result of compromise. But at the end of the day, you know, if it answers the brief and it then, you know, drives performance and viewers, um, then, you know, that's, that's what we're trying to do. You know, that's, that's the, that's what we're here to achieve really is to kind of build our brands, you know, build that brand fame um, and also get people to watch our content and watch our new shows. So, and that's becoming increasingly more difficult with the likes of Netflix and Amazon. With 45 and, different pay-per-view streaming channels. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is crazy nowadays. You know, I actually was talking to a friend about this the other day. We've got Paramount, Netflix, Lionsgate, Shudder, like all these different channels, right? And I can imagine it is very difficult to compete with those, you know, and especially as well, because most of UK TV's content's free, right? It's on Freeview. And competing then with the paid for channels, because I suppose it, for the mo for consumers, their mindset is, well, I'm paying for this, so we're watching this. 
rather than we're going on the on a freeview channel which I, I i can imagine yeah is is super difficult to compete with which is why your sort of um your marketing efforts and your design uh what you put out there in the world has to be eye-catching it has to be no don't don't watch the channel you're paying for watch <laughs> this one that is actually free and i guess that's actually something you need to consider right like in your work oh absolutely i mean it just kind of puts more um you know it puts a bit more pressure on us existing in the world and kind of making people um really act on something you know because i guess when you've got netflix that's you just turn it on like you, you don't know what you're going to watch you just you open it and go what's there what's what's just come out that i'll watch whereas we're kind of actively saying you know there's this show called annika that's coming to alibi on you know friday at nine o'clock like we've got we're kind of i mean that for a lot of people that's a behavior that's quite natural you know there's there's something that's on tv and it's on that time and it's on that channel whereas you know we've got people growing up now in this on-demand catch-up world um that don't really what you know they, they're not programmed that way um you know even my children you know we it's not like we kind of sit down at a certain time to watch something like i remember when i come home from school you know, I'd watch certain shows that start just as I'm kind of walking in the door. Like that's appointment to view, right? And that that's slowly getting lost, you know, which is a bit of a shame, but you know, things move on and things evolve. I think the the thing that we're quite, you know, the thing that I'm quite fortunate for is that, you know, we've got um, a lot of our audience based are, are still very much linear TV viewers. Um, so, you know, everyone thinks, ah, oh, Dave, yeah, I know the Dave channel. People might think that that's our biggest channel, but our actually, you know, our biggest brand or our biggest channel is actually drama. And that's because, you know, there's a lot of, uh, nostalgic content on there. There's a lot of, um, you know, BBC archive stuff on there. And that's very much tailored towards an audience that still sit down and put on a TV channel. Um, you know, obviously we're prioritizing, VOD at the moment, you know, we've got UK TV play, which is basically our on-demand service. Um, you know, it's going to be very hard to compete against the likes of Netflix and iPlayer. Um, but you know, we're steadily growing month and month and month. Um, we're starting to bring in new exclusive content. We're bringing in tons more, um, acquired content onto our service. Um, so we're really kind of doubling down on, uh, our on-demand service. But you know, like you say, that's just another another service amongst everything else. You know, I'm I'm fairly ashamed to say that I I think I've got most of those. <laughs> like I've got I've got Apple TV Plus, which have some amazing shows. I've got Disney Plus for my kids. I've got Netflix for just me and my wife to kind of just see what's on. We've got Paramount Plus because she loves Yellowstone, and there's loads of other stuff, fairly decent stuff on there. You know, we've got Amazon Prime. Um, again, there's some good kind of exclusive films on there. You know, the list goes on and I'm a bit like. Well, it sounds like you're quite like me, right? Like sometimes you'll get home, you'll you'll put Netflix on and then you just sit and scroll through like hundreds of things and be like, 
What? Yeah. For me, I find it really difficult sometimes to actually find anything to watch. I actually miss, in a way, like you said about like traditional programming, where you because I was the same when I used to come home from school or like come home from uni or whatever. I guess actually when I was at uni, that's when streaming started to like come in. But when I was younger, you know, I'd get home, stuff was on when it was on, and you either miss it or you watch yeah. it. There is that urgency to watching something. If you miss it, you're gonna have to watch it on. I don't know what even existed back then. Would you just have to wait for like? The DVD, like <laughs> what happens if you missed an episode yeah. of, yeah, yeah, or the VHS. <laughs> um, no, I, I wasn't quite VHS. I, 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 um, VHS was when I was quite young, but yeah, the, for me, it was mostly like DVD and then, yeah. um, it, it, but it, yeah, that's, that was quite nice. You know, you, that sense of like, oh, I actually do have to watch this. And now with all of these streaming platforms, you can just go on it whenever you want. But I've noticed that in the last, I don't know, I want to say last year, I've really struggled to sit down and be like, I'm going to watch something yeah. and actually make a decision. Yeah. The other day I was on Netflix for about half an hour, just going, clicking through, like, what am I going to watch? Yeah. I ended up settling on the um, BBC Dracula series, oh, yeah. um, which I probably which didn't even good. need First to watch on Netflix. Are good. Third episode. Yeah, don't tell good. me anything about it. I'm not finished yet. <laughs> sorry, I'm not finished sorry, yet. Sorry. Uh, no, I have heard the third episode is is not as good uh, for, for varying reasons. But you might and disagree. You might love it. Who knows? Well, interestingly, isn't the, third, the, the reason people have issues with the third episode is because it kind of merges more with modern yeah, life. Yeah, I'm not right? going to throw out any spoilers. It's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. I, I'm sure it won't spoil it for me. But again, it's kind of like that. You know, people almost want, I think a lot of people do still want that old school, you know, programming. Yeah. So I think, you know, even for UK TV, putting a lot more effort into streaming and stuff. I actually want to ask you, what do you find is the most effective sort of um, marketing method at the minute? Because you mentioned social and how, you know, so many companies are putting a lot of money and time into their social teams and growing social platforms. But, you know, recently we've had people dropping off Twitter because of all of the, the Elon Musk stuff. Yeah. We've got Threads that's been launched. We've got Blue Sky that's been launched. We've got all of these different platforms and, you know, we all know that Instagram's reach is, you know, you're basically not getting any unless you pay for it. Yeah. Facebook, I'm not sure what the sort of current uh, status is on Facebook, to be honest, but it seems to me like all of these platforms are slowly suffering and and, and people are, are less interested in them, less engaged. So yeah. with that in mind, how, how, how do you feel that's affecting your works, you know, your workplace and, and your teams or if anything, and, is there a particular avenue at the minute you're you're really pushing alongside social or is it still just social that you're really focusing on? Yeah, I mean, I th you know, I think we're always going to be focusing on social because I just think, you know, that exists in the world and that's part of people's daily life. Um, you know, that's always going to be somewhere with, that we need to show up. Otherwise, you know, we're going to be losing a lot of eyeballs. Um, <laughs> You'll be in the dust. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, that that is, that is very important. And, you know, we do have two different teams within social. So we have organic social, uh, which is very much our kind of free um, space where we, you know, we can start to um, promote things on our own social media channels. Um, and then we obviously have the paid for social space where, you know, we, we pay for space so that, you know, we're, we're nice and prominent and we can take over um, platforms in different ways and, and more engaging ways. Um, so that is always going to be important and, you know, staying in touch and staying up to date with all of that is, you know, going to be critical. Um, TV is always going to be effective. You know, the, the good thing about the fact that we've got a network of channels is that we've got all of that kind of ad space that we can, you know, we can drop TV promos in that ad space across all of our channels. We can push to, you know, we could have a, 
a Dave promo on drama, or we could have a gold promo on Alibi and kind of just push between um, our network. So that's always going to be very valuable space. You know, brands would die for that amount of airtime to be able to promote your brands. You know, that is just gold dust. So we use that um, all the time. Like that's that's just a given. And actually, you know, TV is is still, you know, one of the highest performing areas to, to promote uh, your brand or your show. We also do a fair amount of radio um, because, you know, radio is, is becoming, well, it has, it, you know, it's been a popular medium for a long time. You know, we, we target things like the school runs and, and, you know, people just have the radio on in the background quite, quite often these days. So radio is always a good space to turn up in. Um, you know, you need to use that medium really well. You need, cause a lot of the radio ads just sound exactly the same. It's a, uh, you know, it's a very similar voiceover, just saying this, the same kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, you need to be quite smart in that area of things. But I think in terms of, you know, it's really hard to get the data and the effectiveness on things like out of home, because you don't quite know how many people have seen it. You know, are people going home and watching it? You can't measure that. Like, you're, you, you could, that's the hardest thing is like, you can have the most standout billboard or have the most incredible looking digital screen, but you never know when that person, if that person's seen it and they've clocked it, they've taken the information, gone home and sat down at that time to watch that thing. You, you, you don't know whether that's happened, but it's equally dangerous to not turn up in that space because, you know, if you want people, you know, we're, we're quite um, strategic in how we do these things, right? So if we're pushing a show that's on that night at 10 o'clock, you know, we would cover the screens and any other sort of out of home space in say Victoria Station or Euston Station so that we get that commuter um, footfall, you know, of people going home. Uh, you also know there's going to be a lot of people that see it. Um, you know, we sometimes target things like shopping malls and, and, and things like that if we do installations or something innovative. Um, so that's a really hard thing to measure. Um, but it's something that is, I think we do quite a lot of compared to our competitors. And I, well, I've seen, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I'm just going to say, I've seen a lot of your, your out of home stuff on, on LinkedIn and, and, and some of it's been really cool. Yeah. You did that, um, I don't know what the show was, but it was like a prison-esque yes. design across, was it, which station was that? That was Angel Underground Station. Um, yeah, that was really cool because it felt like, you know, as you walk through the tunnels, you're almost like a part of this series almost, you know, it's a really, really interesting thing that you did there. Yeah, it's funny because that was our first, I mean, I've talked about, or, or we as a kind of creative leadership team have talked about tube wraps for ages and we've never actually done one. So that was our first ever tube wrap and loads of people have seen it and talked about it and mentioned it, which is great. I mean, again, that was that was a project that had quite a quick turnaround because we sort of ummed and ahed of whether we wanted to do it. Um, there were other stations we were thinking about taking over. So, you know, once we had um, the kind of media plan locked in and we had the space booked, we didn't have a lot of time to turn it around. So again, that's a kind of another example where I just, I, I wish we had a little bit more time, but everyone seems to really love the outcome. And, you know, obviously the, it, so it was for, uh, Katie Piper's jailhouse mums. So it was a really tricky subject matter, um, because it was about women that 
you know, were pregnant and in prison and gave birth in prison. And, you know, it's a, a really highly emotional, quite a sensitive subject matter. Um, it was a really good show, actually, really insightful. But we had to be very careful about how we dealt with it. Um, so there were a lot of discussions around, you know, do we want anything baby related in there or is that in bad taste? And like, there were quite a lot of discussions. And then we were like, right, this is just a great space for us to take over, turn it into a kind of immersive prison cell kind of hallway. Um, you know, we even took over the, um, you know, the advertising boards and turned those advertising boards into, into jail um, cell doors. Um, so we even kind of used the advertising space within that space to kind of transform uh, into this uh, prison cell. And, you know, the, the branding on it was quite minimal. I think it was, it was almost like if you're walking through it, we want to capture your attention. We want you to go, this is different. Like, what are their jails? Why am I walking through a jail cell? Um, and then, you know, at the start of the of the tunnel and at the end of the tunnel, we do have our branding and we have our show title and our TX. Um, there's even a, a picture of Katie Piper at the end. Um, but, you know, we wanted to kind of spike their interest and their, in, you know, sort of get them intrigued in what this thing is. And then once they saw it, it, you know, we hope that that would then just drive a bit more of a reaction and engagement. Um, so that's certainly something that we've discussed a lot this year. At the start of the year, um, we were we were like, right, let's push innovation. You know, innovation is something that we all want to do. And, you know, we often don't because of cost reasons or because of time, time um, factors. So, you know, we made a real conscious effort that innovation was something that we wanted to get involved with more. Um, you know, obviously, when it comes to the cost, then that's when it becomes a bit more of, of a discussion about whether it's worth doing or not. But, you know, even in just, just this year alone, you know, we managed to do um, the, the tube wrap um, takeover. We did this brilliant, um, huge billboard in Brighton, um, which was put on the front of a church uh, for a show called Sister Boniface, which was is, is about a crime fighting nun. Um, I think I saw that as well, and I did think to myself, "How did that church agree with that? Well, <laughs> what what how, what got them to agree with that? Because it obviously it's a very you know crime fighting nun. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a cool it's a cool idea, but what on the outside of a church is the church still functioning? Or yeah, is it yeah. Just so the space? church is. I mean, it's it's a really big, well known church um, in the middle of Brighton. Um, I think it's called St Peter's Church. Um, but yeah, so Build Hollywood, who have all of these different ad spaces, they often kind of pop up and put in sort of big billboard sites in these really weird and interesting places. They have their traditional billboards, obviously, but that they have all these other different sites. And you know, we were obviously this was a whole project that we might be able we might get into later, but um, it was all based around stained glass windows. So we actually worked with an illustrator to create these really intricate, beautiful stained glass windows. And, you know, characters from the show were in the stained glass windows. There were themes of the show that were all integrated into the illustration. Honestly, it was like the, the attention to detail was incredible. Um, you know, only a kind of artist human could, could kind of create uh, this stuff. It was really great. Um, and, you know, we wanted to utilize that 
these assets that we had for the rest of our campaign um, in this innovative way. Um, and yeah, Build Hollywood had this big billboard in the front at the front of a church in Brighton. I think they were renovating the church or there was something that they were almost covering the church for a reason because I think they were uh, renovating it somehow. But, you know, that space has just been used as, as a traditional kind of advertising space, just sort of, you know, your typical billboard ad, you know, for, for makeup or whatever. It, that, was, that was what that space was used. But as soon as we saw it, we were like, oh, shit, this is like made for what we want to do. You know, we've got all of these assets. Let's kind of have it as like a, the front of the church. But actually the, the stained glass windows are all part of our show and it's kind of pushing our show. And then we kind of put a little fake banner, which kind of promoted the show title and and the channel and when it was on. Um, and yeah, from, you know, it was one of those things where you, it's a great idea and you're a bit like, absolutely, why would we not do that? That's just kind of a brilliant idea. Let's do that. Um, and then you kind of make it and you're like, oh, like, is this going to work? Like, is this going to, is this visually going to, turn out like we want it to um and there were some really weird factors like there were there were in different sections there were a couple of columns that we had to think about and like there was a big sort of um mural thing on the bottom of it so so there were a lot of factors that we had to consider when we were creating that artwork and creating you know taking those illustrations and, and creating the final piece um but then, yeah, I took my family down actually on a, I think it was a, a really hot Sunday. So I was like, do you want to go to the beach? Um, I kind of, you know, I just wanted to go and see this billboard. But, you know, we took them down and, and they had a lovely day on the beach. And then we walked up and and as soon as we were kind of walking towards it, I was like, wow. It was kind of like a big sort of um, wow moment where you actually see it in the flesh and you're like, actually, yeah, shit, that worked. That looks really good. Um and then obviously, you know, there were some professional photographs. I took some selfies with it and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things where just a really good idea is all you need. Like if you've got, you know, if you've got a crime fighting nun, what better than to bring it to get, you know, bring it to life in stained glass windows and put it at the front of a church. So Well, it was a really great idea when I saw it on LinkedIn. And, and it's a shame because, you know, you mentioned earlier, you said um, you can't really track the effectiveness of a, an, an outdoor campaign. And in a way, it's a real shame that that's the case and it's what, you know, the sort of mindset is within a, within a studio or an agency or, or an advertising company or whatever, because sometimes, and at least for me, it's the outdoor that can be some of the most effective and most interesting campaigns because, you know, I mentioned earlier, I don't really spend a whole lot of time on socials. I know I, I obviously run Poster Spy, which is on all of the socials, but what I see is not, a lot of stuff you know i stay fairly into my world and that's usually about it um which may be a detriment but you know it's just the way i am you know i, don't, I can't spend hours yeah. and hours just scrolling on tiktok or whatever right um so i guess a lot of the stuff that's done on socials through you know agencies or whoever i don't tend to actually see much of so when i see billboard stuff or mm. outdoor that's really effective i'm like wow that's good and i suppose like you said if it's something that someone then can take a photo of and then share that to their socials, or you could even work in and you know i hate to say it but like an, an influencer campaign yeah. from a billboard or from an out of home stuff 
that's also a cool way to do it. And although you may not have the direct sort of like traffic info and like all of the information you need to show that this actually worked, at least you'd have an idea, I guess, of saying, you know, we did this out of home, but actually what the bigger element of that was, was the buzz on social media and how, you know, you must have seen the that, that Dracula billboard. Yeah, absolutely. It, I was you know, about, come I was, back to that I was again. just about but to yeah. reference that, yeah. I think you're, you're, you know, that was hugely viral, right? Yeah. I mean, it went viral for weeks almost, this, this Dracula image and how it worked. And that was a brilliant example of out of home that captures imaginations, goes viral, out of home aside, that almost paid for itself in terms of the social content that it created yeah. around it, right? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That is, um, you know, that's an ongoing discussion we have when we talk about um, innovation, because I guess, you know, the most, you should never say, we want to make something that's going to go viral, right? Because you just never mm. know. You need to be at the right- <laughs> And usually it wouldn't. Yeah. If that's your idea, it exactly. probably will <laughs> If you say it out loud, it's never going to happen, right? You kind of need to be at, you need to do the right thing in the right place at the right time. Um, sometimes it's just the most unexpected thing that goes viral. But yeah, I think the Dracula one is is a really good case study in that, you know, they did this incredible thing with the stakes and the shadow that forms Dracula's face. Like it was it was a brilliant piece of work. It was a really good, um a really good idea that was really well executed. And I think um, you know, when it comes to shareability. If you have a good idea that's well executed, people are going to take notice. They're going to take a photograph. They're going to go, have you seen this cool thing? You know, if you're lucky, it will start to spread um, and become viral. Uh, but, you know, they are the hardest things to um, predict. You just, you know, you just want to do, all we can really do is do incredible, outstanding work. And if it lands, and people care about it and they want to take a photograph and they want to share it, then amazing. Like that, that means that it's particularly good. Um, I think you're right in that, you know, doing something like that piece of out of home and then it being shared around and, you know, going viral or becoming popular or talked about like that is a, a one measure of success for out of home. I think, you know, that whether that drives viewership, I think is is something else. It will certainly drive awareness because people will go, have you seen this amazing thing? It's for Dracula. They might never watch Dracula, but they will really appreciate the creative work. Um, I think other, you know, other things that we've done in the past is is do things for the brand. So, you know, do things that drive brand fame essentially. So, you know, there's tons of things that we could do for Dave, you know, working in the comedy space. Um, you know, we did some really interesting things for Alibi recently um, because that's a crime channel. You know, that's that's a very niche audience that like to problem solve. Um, and, you know, they like to get in, involved and kind of, you know, try and figure things out. So, you know, we did this, this really big campaign uh, called More Than Meets the Eye. Um, and we did some animated billboards where, you know, there were sort of hidden messages within messages. So it was a kind of dual um, message execution. Um, and people really liked that. We actually won quite a few awards for that, um, which was great. But then what we did was we're like, right, 
that's a kind of really strong concept. That's just a big idea that can keep going and going, right? That idea of more than meets the eye. So what we did actually was an installation where we kind of had a bunch of these blocks um, that created a bit of an art installation. And then you could walk around and see, you know, there was some sort of framed pieces to see what shows we've got on. But actually, if you stand in a certain position, it all comes together. It's like a false perspective. It all comes together um, and it says more than meets the eye. Um, even from the top, if you if you stand at a certain angle, it forms the Alibi logo. So that was all about kind of different perspectives and kind of shifting your perspectives and sort of working things out and, you know, showing that on Alibi, there's more than meets the eye. So... You know, I think in terms of innovation and thinking differently and doing work that people care about and want to share, like that's that's really what we aim to do. Like we want to produce work that people, you know, firstly enjoy and engage with and then secondly act on and hopefully, you know, we can kind of bring in that those performance results that we always look for out of interest has the idea of doing an escape room ever come up for alibi we have done an escape room actually to launch a show. We, yeah oh, we, you've have, done one already. we have so that was um uh that i think that was just as we were coming out of lockdowns actually so yes we did we did some we there were kind of like four i think there were four rooms i did i did the escape room i was one of the the lucky people that could go and go and do it um but yeah there were four shows and we worked with an escape room company uh, and you basically went through each room which was themed on that show. And then, you know, you had to obviously crack the room to then go to the next room and the next room. Um, and it was really good. It was, I was, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I had a good time. Um, and I, that was mostly for um, us as like some of, our, some of the staff at UK TV could go, but it was mostly for press. Um, it was more of a kind of a launch event, if you like. Um, so it wasn't, I don't think it was open to the public. Uh, it may, may well have been for a, for a limited period, but uh, like we were going through the sort of COVID days. Um, so there were restrictions on things like that. Um, so yeah, we've done, we have done that and that was very good. You know, hopefully we can do more of those sort of things and kind of get more people involved and engaged with our brands. Um, we also did... So for um, at UK TV, our comms team and our creative team, we work with some incredible photographers. Um, there's kind of like a select few that we work with, but we, we do work with a lot of photographers and we've got this back catalogue of incredible imagery um, and incredible photography. So um, one thing that we did do uh, fairly recently was when we rebranded UK TV Play uh, last year, the um, the team actually put on a photography exhibition. Um, so it was really great. They kind of hired this space in London, um, you know, had had all of these amazing visuals, amazing photography framed up in this exhibition. There are even things like, um, you know, a miniature of the Red Dwarf Starbug and, you know, some uh, costumes from the shows. You know, we had on the opening night, obviously we had press down, we had some uh, celebrities and some kind of big names in the world of TV came down. Um, and then the rest, you know, for the rest of the the time, I think it was open for about a week. 
um, it was open to the public. So anyone could go in and just have a look at, you know, this amazing photography. It was basically a free exhibition, um, but it was all branded around UK TV play um, and all of the shows that we, it was basically photography for, from the shows that, that you can watch on UK TV play. So, you know, again, just kind of thinking of different ways that you can show up in the world and kind of project your brand and have people care about you and kind of interact with you. Um, you know, we're trying to do more and more of that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's an exciting, it's exciting times. It's just a really noisy world. Um, and you know, we need to kind of punch through that noise and try and stand out as best we can. And there's always going to be those campaigns where it's a traditional campaign where we, we need to just have, you know, a really striking image of the key talent front and center. Um, you know, they're always going to be effective because they're, you know, just really cutting through to what the show is, who's on it, you know, and, and a lot of times that's all that people care about. And, you know, when you have people walking through a train station, if they're glimpsing it for three or four seconds, like if they saw a big picture of Nicola Walker, for instance, they might be going, oh, I like Nicola Walker. What's that show? I might watch that tonight. So, you know, I think in terms of dwell time, that's also something that we consider. Um, so, you know, if it's if it's a roadside, like people are going to be shooting past that thing at 40, 50 miles an hour, they might not even see it. But, um, you know, if we were another, another thing we've done in the past actually for Dave, where we really sort of drove brand fame, um, and this actually got shared quite a lot, was um, the tube card panels um, on the tube. So, I don't know if you remember, but Dave used to had have, have a kind of black chalkboard background, and we we used to put loads of funny stuff on there. Um, and we had this always on approach where we would always have these tube card panels up in the in the underground on the actual carriages. And um, the best thing about that is that you could do something really funny. And thankfully, you know, Dave's tone of voice is is really funny it's also very knowing and um it it kind of reflects the everyday so it kind of takes the piss a bit about you know situations within your day so something like stuck on a tube train it, you know you could have a lot of fun with that about you know not making eye contact or you know maybe being stuck in someone's armpit because it's too busy um but you know the great thing about that is that people are stuck in in that space um, so most of the time they're just looking around or, or they're looking at their phone, but if they're looking around, you know, they might clock the, the Dave tube card panel, take a photograph of it cause it made them laugh and then share it. And, you know, because they're in that space, the dwell time is a lot higher. So there's a lot more of an opportunity for them to, to see it and read it. And that gives us more license to have, you know, longer copy. So we could start to go on a bit of a sort of rant about things. So, you know, it could be just a stream of consciousness, which, you know, is a, this long copy ad that is in a, a tube, a tube card panel. And actually someone might read it because they're stuck there for a bit. So yeah, it's all about kind of targeting your space, seeing the opportunity, understanding what the priorities are that you kind of want to, you know, you want the viewers to see and to sort of take away really. I used to do that a lot. When I was on the tube, I would probably read all of the little cards at the top. And I, I don't know if I, 
it, that sounds really sad, but I, I always <laughs> I used it like, uh, yeah, I always used it as well, like a bit of an eyesight test, you know, because there's always big text at the top and then it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And then you get to the bottom and it'd be like, I can't read it. But luckily that was usually just the copyright. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, some, sometimes <laughs> they do that so that you get, you act, actively get closer. And then, um, yeah, so sometimes they, they kind of do that to actually rope you in. Um, there's a little discount code there, yeah there. exactly yeah or it says why you've got why you've got so close like there's nothing <laughs> to read here <laughs> step away yeah. you're literally in the person's face exactly, right next exactly. to you <laughs> um, I did want to ask you so being head of design you've obviously dealt with a lot of designers over your career and I think one thing that a lot of people within my community struggle with is, you know, a lot of these people are, are they're, they're graduated, they're very new to the scene. Alternative posters might be their current only sort of outlet or, or work they've got in their portfolio. And one thing I, I'd like to ask you is, what is the one sort of common mistake you see from young designers or people looking to get into an agency or a studio that people should avoid that, that is the sort of one thing you see on a, on a CV or a portfolio and you think, ah, oh, you know, if only they'd have done this, maybe I could have worked with them or given them an opportunity, but they didn't. And, and then, you know, you'd hire someone else. Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, uh, so I will start with being sort of brutally honest when I'm, um, recruiting for a role, um, particularly designers role, if they don't have a website or a portfolio, or if I can't see any of their work, I I just have to move on to the next one because you need to have a visible portfolio of work. Otherwise, I can't judge how good you are. Um, so I think that's number one, is that if there's anyone listening that wants to get into the industry, um, make sure that you have your work on show, whether that's a website or even if you've kind of got a portfolio, um, a PDF portfolio that you can send over, you know, make sure it looks as good as it can be and, you know, you sort of promote yourself as best you can. So that's the kind of first one. Um, I think in terms of um, what perhaps people doing alternative posters, you know, where they might or where they could... Um, improve things from a a more kind of uh, a more sort of industry viewpoint is I think in terms of the quality of finish I think we're we're so um specific about how things should sort of look you know there needs to be a, an element of of polish you need to have a really good kind of finish to your work you know i think if you're a junior and you're kind of trying a few things then that's absolutely great i think if you um you, you know if it looks just a bit kind of average there are so many good people out there at the moment i think it's just kind of really understanding the technique and the programs that you're working with and really pushing yourself as much as possible i think for me i always say you know something can look good but often it just needs an extra pass or two to look great. And, you know, I've got a real fine eye for what I think just looks like a Photoshop composition. Like, the, I think in terms of having that sort of final polish, that retouching um, skill, 
is really critical in the world at the moment because, you know, you look at all of the imagery that starts turning up on streaming platforms, you know, they've got a key image. They've sometimes got multiple key images and they've got to look absolutely beautiful. They've got to look um, like a really quality show that you want to invest your time in. So I think, you know, having that um, that eye to to know that you could just push it a little bit further. You know, you could soften a few things, soften a few things off. You could, you know, have an extra few layers in there. You, you know, the, just looking at the polish of your final piece, I think, is really critical these days. You know, I I've been looking at alternative movie posters for years. I've you know I've been a movie buff all my life, and I love alternative movie posters. I often, you know, most of the time I love them more than the official posters. And I think that's because, you know, there's a real passion that's gone into it. I think sometimes, you know, official posters are done by incredibly talented people, but also there's a lot of stakeholders involved. You know, the production company probably sign all this stuff off and, you know, there's there's a job that it needs, that it needs to do. But alternative posters is just a labour of love. Like they might... They, you know, most artists and illustrators have picked that film because they love that film deeply, and they they want to have, um, you know, they want to interpret it um, using the skills that they've got. So I think, you know, in terms of alternative movie posters, you know, th- these days I've seen less traditional posters and more really interesting, visually striking movie posters like i think even looking at things from a different perspective there's quite a lot of um illustrators that i follow on instagram at the moment and they just kind of have this really unique perspective like sometimes it's from a really extreme angle or viewpoint and and we can't we can't not mention the Sam Gilby posters behind yeah, you that I kind mean, of adhere to that, <laughs> yeah. right? You've got the Die Hard poster. For people that can't see this, and if they're just listening to it on, on Spotify, you know, or, or whatever streaming platform, there's, you know, a Die Hard poster behind you. There's the Jaws poster that Sam Gilby did as yeah. well. And both of those have that very different perspective, right? Where it's it's a scene or it's something familiar, but it's not what you expect. And it's not just the key art that we're used to. It's a very different angle that you can you can appreciate and you can spend hours probably looking at and sort of absorbing all the details. Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of look at that and you can't deny that that person loves that film. Like there's, there's a scene or there's a moment that's kind of inspired them so much that they've kind of recreated it from a, very, from a different point of view. Like the Die Hard one, you know, in the kind of lift shaft, it's you know, that is a moment of t- in time in the, in the film, you know, it might not, that idea might not get signed off for the official poster because it might be a bit too niche, but you know, it's just that sort of attention to detail and that sort of passion that comes through. I'm like, I feel that. And I'm, I'm like, yes, I love that. That's great. And that's a totally different perspective to other things that I've seen, you know, even the, to be fair, the classic um, Goonies poster that I also have up on my wall, you know, that, that was, a um an official poster but you know that was when drew struzan and you know all of the kind of classic illustrated posters were on trend and you know that was very much a sort of steven spielberg adventure era um and you know there's the official poster where they're all hanging off um the rocks i think it is um but you know it's got it's got that perspective it's got that viewpoint it's got something that feels unique and different and you know that that could also be another thing 
um, that you know we could uh, recommend to people that are coming into the industry and want to create these um, alternative posters is that you know find find your style, kind of find your craft, and get really good at it. And you know a lot of people come into doing these things by being influenced by other illustrators and artists, which is fine. Like all creatives are inspired by others. Like there's no such thing as an original idea these days. But I think what I would say is, you know, have, have your own style, have your own kind of voice and, you know, build a portfolio of just really interesting work that's going to stand out. I guess I see quite a lot of work that, that looks very samey. And actually, you know, it's very serviceable stuff, right? I could, I could use a lot of a lot of that for many of our campaigns, and it would do a good job. But I guess, you know, finding someone that can do that, but also think differently, and and think, you know, how can I promote this show in a really interesting way that that will look different to all the other TV shows that are out there? Like there was another one. Uh, there was another show recently called uh, The Diplomat, not the one on Netflix. Um, there was another one that we actually launched first uh, on Alibi. And, you know, we went, it was filmed in Barcelona. So, you know, the team went out to Barcelona and we got um, we got some shots, you know, for some photography shots. We also um, filmed some bits and pieces. I actually created the title sequence for that show. Um, and we used a lot of the footage that we caught um, out in Barcelona. Um, but, you know, even that show, we kind of, we had a, a main, um, you know, kind of a main piece of key art, which was a very traditional three talent piece, um, which looked great. Like it looked, it looked really, really good. Um, like a show that I would definitely watch. But then the secondary image was this really, lovely shot from like there was a spiraling staircase um in one of the locations from the show and you know the um the main uh character was you know down a couple of spirals down and looking up and you know the shot was kind of a really interesting perspective shot down at her looking up and you know for me that was just so much more interesting that was used as the the kind of secondary image so you know once the 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 master image run its course and you know we were going into episode i don't know three four five they would swap it for a secondary image just to kind of keep it fresh um but that secondary image i just thought was was beautiful and you know it's kind of just having that um i mean i know everyone says think outside the box but it's just kind of having that slightly different perspective on producing work that stands out and looks different, really. Well, I think it's it's one thing I, we touched on actually when we we had a little bit of a catch up the other day that one of the projects I'm working on for 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 Play On and for Payday Three, I you know we put out a call to action. We got we asked for people to submit their portfolios. We chose three artists, and there was. I want to say close to 90 people that submitted to it. So a good selection of, of different artists. But something I noticed as I was going through was that maybe 10, 20, maybe maybe more of, of the artists had a very similar style. And when I put this together, I put, you know, because I know the 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 quality of the work was still good, but like you mentioned, some stuff was quite samey. 
I did include a few of these similar artists in the deck. And the response I got was the artists selected by the client were the three most visually unique artists out of the whole deck, who I think their work is absolutely fantastic, but traditionally it wouldn't usually be your sort of first thought, like, let's get those guys to do it, because it's so different to the sort of the norm. And it was quite nice to see, actually, that those artists have been given this opportunity now. And, you know, hopefully, you know, you'll get to see the work. It comes out in a, a couple of weeks. And to see that those artists were selected and given this opportunity is a really nice thing for a start. But now knowing as well that the, the artwork is hopefully going to be very unique. And I do think that that's something that not just alternative poster artists, but any designer, you know, it, it's, it's an important thing to think, okay, you know, you can put together this very good piece of work that could be, like you mentioned, super polished. It could be very, you know, the skill level is just super high. But if it doesn't stand out, I feel like, you know, you've almost wasted your time doing it. I mean, you're not maybe wasted your time, but if it's not going to make you stand out from the crowd and set you apart from people, what, what what does it say about you as a designer? Do you need to maybe rethink how you're approaching these things? I mean, you know, you mentioned the, the Goonies poster behind you. If that poster was just all of those characters, you know, mashed together and, and, and just like a standard image, that poster you have behind you would never have become as iconic as it, as it has. Yeah, totally. And I think, um, you know, I, I think, you know, standing out and having a distinctive voice is really important. But I think the most important thing is to kind of learn the craft first. And I think it's during that kind of learning process and understanding the craft that you find your voice. And I think, um, you know, even when I talk to, um, you know, motion designers and even kind of digital designers, I always say, if anybody wants to work in the area of design, whichever area you want to specialize in, I would urge them all to do some kind of course or degree in graphic design, because I think graphic design is kind of just a really um, solid foundation, a really solid base to kind of understand the visual medium, understand you know, the kind of, yes, there are a few, I guess there are rules around um, some areas of graphic design, but, you know, through that, you could start to bring your illustration through, you know, you could start to then, you know, I like to say for anyone that works in motion graphics, um, you know, probably animation, maybe not so much animation, but certainly motion graphics, if you know um, about graphic design and how to kind of create the pixels like you've got to do that before you make the move i think it's you know having that fundamental understanding of the visual medium is really important and i think from that you know you could then start to specialize in you know whether you want to do illustration or digital art and start to really refine that craft down but i think having a solid kind of design foundation is really helpful through your sort of experience, what do you think differentiates a a great leader from an okay leader or a good leader? Because there are going to be things that set people apart. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a big question. Um, but you know, I think you're right. There's kind of you need to understand your mindset and the way that you work with others. I think you really need to carefully think about that and understand that. Um, micromanaging is never good. Uh, you need to give 
creatives, particularly in you know the field that we work in, you need to give them space uh, to spread their wings and and learn and make mistakes. Like sometimes making mistakes is is even more valuable than you know doing the right thing. I think from you making mistakes, you will do better work in future because you know if you do care and if you give a shit, then those mistakes will not be made again. Um, you know, I've mm. made I've made some mistakes in the past and they've absolutely mortified me. And I'm like, I am never going to do that ever again because I don't want to feel the way that I felt. So I think you've got to really care. Um, you know, you've got to care about the work. You've got to care about the people. Um, you know, like I said before, you know, I'd like to think that I'm kind of easy on the people in the, you know, I'm not a kind of micromanager. I want them to feel comfortable at work. I want them to have the confidence to do the best work that they possibly can. But I'm also quite hard on the work. So if the work isn't good enough, I will say something. Or if I don't think that it's going in the right direction, then I will try and course correct that piece of work and we will, you know, work together to make it better. So I think, you know, particularly after the pandemic, there's a lot of talk around empathy um, and this idea of the empathic leader. And, you know, I I really sympathise with that. And I, you know, I, I feel like I have a certain degree of empathy within my leadership. You know, I, I really care about my team. You know, sometimes if they're going through a really bad patch or if something has happened that's particularly bad, you know, we just forget about the work. Like, the work can wait, right? If you're going through a bad time, let's sort that out first. And then we can figure out a plan to, you know, how we can make that work happen and how we can, you know, continue um, to work business as usual. But the priority is, is, is you basically, mm-hmm. you know, and I think the values and um, the leadership at UK TV has really helped with that because they, um, they put people first, and I don't think a lot of people have do that. I don't think a lot of um, agencies or or companies put their people first. I think you know a lot of places are very business minded, but um, you know that was really that was really important. Obviously, during the pandemic, when you know not a single person lost their job, nobody was furloughed. You know, we found a way to make it work. And they just put their people first. You know, it was all about making sure that everybody was safe and happy. And, you know, we it was almost like, right, let's just focus on everybody. Make sure everybody's fine. You know, we might need to build again because, you know, the world's fallen apart and we need to we need to find another way through it. Um, but yeah, it's very much kind of putting people first and really like I said before, it's it's that sort of 50-50 balance between managing the projects and managing the work, but also managing the people. Um, and, you know, I've tried to, although I'm very much, um, you know, my time is taken up with meetings about projects, I always try to find some time to do one-on-ones with my team. So we often have something called walk and talks, where, you know, we step away from the computer. If we're in the office, we might go for a walk outside. If we're at home, we just get on the phone and we go for a walk outside and just a bit of fresh air. And we just talk about stuff for like half an hour, an hour, 
you know, it could be work related. It could be um, stuff that they're doing at the weekend or stuff that's happening at home. It's basically just a time where we can have that one-to-one communication. So I think in terms of, you know, leadership, it's, it's really being conscious about doing the best possible work you can do, you know, trying to improve yourself, but also just making sure that you're improving others and, you know, showing that you care about others. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's really sort of striking that balance between uh, the people and the work. Well, I think that's a great message to leave at the end of this podcast for people listening. Um, Pete, I want to thank you so much for joining me on this. It, the insights you've shared are super valuable. And I think anybody, whether or not they're an you know, aspiring designer or they're just starting out or whether or not they're someone that's been in the industry and they want a, a similar role to what you have and they want to start leading others, I think this this podcast is going to be fantastic for them. So thank you so much for joining Good. us. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I just want to say, um, yeah, well done to you for for sort of building the community that is post aspire I think it's it's really great that you. that you know the the illustrators and the artists have um have that sort of community that you've built and then you know extending it into podcasts where you know you're giving them a platform but now you're giving them a voice and you know we can talk about um things like this and you know the industry and the very talented people that you work with so no thank you to you as well I really appreciate that thank you Pete no worries thanks a lot Thank you for listening to the Post Spy podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. You can help fund this series directly by becoming a Post Spy Pro member. You'll be given access to extended versions of each and every episode, discounts with our partners, and a whole lot more. Simply head over to posterspy.com/pro. If you're looking for daily design inspiration, visit posterspy.com and follow us on Twitter at Post Spy for all of the latest updates.